Hello and welcome to Unparliamentary Language, a political podcast that thinks politics is serious business. And how are you, Rob? It's only been two days since we spoke. It's a bit yeah. of a busy time for us. It's very busy, but in that time I've been to Lords, I've seen Somerset win the cricket, so I'm very, very happy. Oh, that's good. A happy Rob is a good Rob, uh, I hear. So that's, that's good to hear. I am currently still... Oh no, I wasn't travelling before. I told you I would be travelling, I believe. So I am now travelling. Uh, I am in Dublin, uh, which has been interesting because I've been able to dive into a bit of how politics works here. I can maybe give a, a European view, a, a bit of a European view on how the MEP elections went down. Um, I have spoken to some Irish people I know, so hopefully that's vaguely interesting. So um, we'll throw that in later. Um, and there's not going to be a, a news uh, section to go with this because... It's been too close to the other news and we've got one story to talk about. So we're just going to barrel straight on into the results. So, Rob, can you fill us in on what happened? Uh, yeah, um, in the main, um, what happened largely reflected the state of the polls. Uh, the Brexit party came in first with a total of 28 MEPs, um, followed, uh, well, they, they won by quite some way compared to the Lib Dems, who had 15 MEPs. Then you've got Labour, the Greens and then Conservatives in fifth place. Uh, with Change UK and UKIP in England at least picking up zero MEPs. Um, the graphic I'm looking at at the moment puts the SNP on zero, but I think the results for Scotland were coming in a little bit late and the SNP are tipped to have won Scotland quite comprehensively. Yeah, and I think um, probably the big story of the night, as you say, is that there's Brexit at the top of those polls um, on a very one-issue party, um, which is interesting probably because... Well, we know, for example, I will have to try and find the video, but there's a video of Guy Verhofstadt um, complaining about uh, Nigel Farage and how he never turns up to any of the committees he's on. Um, and I I kind of am wondering if, if that's all this is, just a gravy train for Nigel and his pals. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> but yes, yeah. It seems to be that way. I mean, bizarrely, the Brexit Party has been formed pretty much around Nigel Farage, who uh, have abandoned UKIP, um, who became more right-wing than they did under Nigel Farage. They definitely went for the sort of anti-Islamic slant. They became the new BNP. Uh, so Nigel Farage formed a Brexit Party that was sort of UKIP without the subtext, um, in a way, uh, to um, essentially try and get a lot of the... Brexit anger or get the Brexiteer part of the vote. Um, and it appears to have worked. It certainly seems to have united the Brexiteers um, behind one figure and one party. Uh, the big figure that came out of the night is in strongly leave areas. The Brexit party managed to pick up roughly 50% of the vote. Um, and as a result, won quite a lot of council constituencies um, across the UK. Um, if you have a look at some of the maps that have been released, uh, they don't actually split it up into the uh, voting areas for the MEP votes, they vote up into uh, council districts, and there's a lot of teal on that map representing the Brexit Party. And there is a, a map of the UK which is pretty much teal, with the exception of Scotland in a light yellow for the SNP, and uh, London as this island of Lib Dems in in the middle of a sea of Brexit. Um, so yeah, it's it is. It's not necessarily. It's essentially what we expected. I think the percentage might have been slightly lower than some of the polls suggested, but essentially we did expect it to end up this way. Um, do we want to briefly touch on kind of the broader picture across the EU and then come back into the UK side of things? So we've like covered the kind of the the, the general setting for what's going on. Yeah. So what do you know about the results um, across the EU? 
Yeah, so, I mean, taken as a whole, I think that there's a lot of kind of rhetoric going around that it's the populist parties winning. But actually, I think if you look at it, it's more that the parties that have held the kind of centre-right, centre-left for a long time in the EU have been lost a few seats here and there, but there is a strong rise in the Greens and other parties. But yeah, I I, I mean, looking at the results I saw earlier, it, it confirmed the fact that support has gone away from the centrist parties, but has sort of gravitated towards the more liberal parties and the Greens, as well as some of those votes going to the far right and nationalist parties as well. There seems to be, a, again, a kind of anti-establishment view across Europe, but it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all going very right wing, um, although there was some rise in France and in um, Italy, I believe, which, where the far right had their biggest results of the night. Um, well, I mean, Marine Le Pen was claiming, oh, that uh, Macron should get rid of his government, and um, that's not what this election was about. This is like, even if you agree with her like that she's doing well, I mean, that, that's not how elections work. And I think it's one of the most annoying things that's been coming out of these kind of far right parties we've seen that, that they, they, you know, they'll say, oh, it's the will of the people and stuff like that. But really, they just want their way and they will try and spin it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I'm just going to sigh loudly, I think, about about this kind of stuff. Um, uh, so the, the context in which we review these elections is really important because... People will spin these in lots of ways, and the spin is very important to a lot of different people and a lot of different parties. And hopefully, we can break through the spin a little bit for you uh, tonight. Um, but it's very important to remember that although these are sort of referendums on national governments, the Brexit Party don't have a single MP, they don't have a single councillor. All they have is 28 MEPs in a European Parliament, which, if everything goes right for the UK and they get a deal by October 31st, the Brexit party will cease to exist and their point will be gone. So it's very, you know, we live in interesting times and it's very odd to sort of assume that these Brexit parties have come in and say this is a massive deal and, you know, this proves that we must do a no-deal Brexit or they should we should get rid of the party that's in charge now because it's such a short-term protest vote. Um, on such a single issue, um, and it's on precisely that single issue. It's, that's the main reason why the Brexit Party was so effective, uh, because they had one message and repeated it over and over again. Yeah. So I had a quick look, and I can't find the link I was thinking of. But there was so on the Europe Alex website, they list all of. Well, actually, this might be something some of our listeners aren't aware of, but they're all of the major parties. I think Brexit is the only party I'm aware of other than independents that don't have um, a specific uh, affiliation. They're just unaffiliated. But um, we have a link in the chat at the moment of the different uh, groups that exist within um, the European Parliament. So these are supranational political parties to which our political parties align. So, for example, there's ALD, which is the Liberal Democrats one. So it's I can't remember what the I can't remember what the A is, but it's Liberal Democrats Europe uh, is is what the LDE part of it means. Uh, and you may just see that summarised as Liberal Democrats. Uh, there's also the Social Democrats and other groups like that. Uh, European People's Party EPP is one that's been quite big for a while. Um, and um, the the thing that was interesting about the other link I saw is so there's an others section which has 29 MEPs, and that was listed as Nazis, satirists, and others. <laughs> On one of the websites I saw, oh. which is uh, 
a strong a strong way of looking at it. I can't necessarily speak to whether that website was unbiased uh, with its use of uh, terminology, but I, I haven't looked into the people it was labelling as Nazis. Um, so, uh, but yes, uh, yeah, across the board, I think it's fair to say that that the um, the larger groups that have held kind of the centre right and centre left have lost, but there has been a surge in Greens, Demo- Liberal Democrats, etc. So while if you if you look at that uh, list actually that we have, so you know we've got European People's Party have lost forty one, Europe of Conservatives and Reformers have lost eleven, um, and then your Nationalists are still where they are. The non-aligned are the same, others are the same, and Freedom and Direct Democracy have gained six, but then the Liberal Democrats have gained forty two seats, Greens have gained nineteen. So there's been there's been a, a mix up of where things have gone, but it's not it's not shifted wildly to the right as some would have you believe. I think that's the key takeaway here. So the other thing I want to probably briefly touch on is I happen to be in Ireland at the moment, uh, in Dublin, which is a lovely city. Um, and I just want so their results I don't think were particularly surprising. The leading party won the majority of the MEPs. Um, their politics is very interesting. I know we've touched on it a bit before. Uh, <laughs> I'm not Irish, so I can't really speak to all of it. But it's interesting to look at the differences between their two main parties, which I'm now going to murder the pronunciation of. So there's Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Um, and they come out of the uh, Republican movement. So one part, one of those parties, I think it's, I think I'm right in saying it's Fine Gael. Um, but if I get this wrong, just swap them around. Uh, <laughs> Fine Gael was the party that essentially signed the document that eventually led to the Republic and of Ireland being formed. Whereas Fianna Fáil are the ones who have not given up wanting an independent Ireland. Now, Ireland is an independent republic and has been since 1957, I believe. So the, the, the you need for that party is not necessary. You know, you could argue that party has no purpose anymore. But what's interesting is they don't really map onto our British view of things with the Conservatives and Labour. So um, you would you would imagine that the party that had signed uh, the document with the British would be more conservative and that the other party would be more Labour. But actually, it's not that clear cut. They're, they're different that their economic policies and their social policies are kind of not in the same, not lined up in the same way that we have over here. So yeah, it's it's interesting, but it, it is different to um, different to how we do our politics over here. Um, the other thing I'd like to touch on is I think we might be the only country in Europe, and I'd like listeners who are spread out in Europe to mention, you know, speak up uh, if they know differently. But we sometimes have big billboards, like there are famously billboards of. Um, with David Cameron's face on for for our general elections, and we've seen uh, this ongoing campaign recently to share tweets uh, that that politicians have have said, like for example, you know, essentially like Trump criticizes Trump. Any of those kind of tweets are up on billboards at the moment um, because there's a group that have been funded to do that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, the group is called uh, the, the group's called Led by Donkeys, um, and you can find them on Twitter. Led by donkeys, yeah, that, that, that kind of thing goes on. But what we don't have, which I've noticed in a lot of European countries uh, when I've been travelling, is they tend to have this uh, way of advertising for different parties on lampposts. And I believe I believe the fine, is a, at least in Ireland, is €100 Euros per poster that's not taken down within a week of the election. But basically, there are just giant faces all over... <laughs> all over these lampposts when you stop and you know park up or you know wait waiting for the red light or whatever and you just see all these faces you know vote number one uh, ireland's interesting actually because they have the single transferable vote in their MEP elections which is not the norm across uh the off across europe at the moment um but they just have these yeah it's basically the person's face their name and their party 
Uh, and I think the fun- funniest one was we saw White Alex, who who's, even his hair was white. He was the whitest candidate I've ever seen. I think, uh, you know, Americans would be happy to have him in, in, in certain places in the South, you know. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting that that's a very different way of advertising who's running for what. And by comparison, I think when you look at it, it really shows there's a few countries who have a lower percentage than us. I can't remember if it was... Slovenia that had 27% turnout but we have 37% turnout whereas the overall turnout in the EU was about 51% and that is the highest since 1994 I believe yeah I think it's interesting how politics is handled differently and how the MEP elections are you definitely feel like they're more important over here and I think while the UK's vote uh voter turnout has gone up with this election it's taken a, a long time for people to really care about this, and it's only really, I think, the Brexit party that's driving that, which is a weird state of affairs to be in. Yeah, certainly. Um, the UK always sort of... It was the least important election, at least in their eyes, um, when they went to the ballot box, which was why turnout was so low. And like you say, the fact that the Brexit party has sort of only been able to boost turnout by doing such an anti-vote against it... Um, is a very odd state of affairs. I think, as a side note as well, the Brexit party will be the single largest party in the EU Parliament, if that makes sense. So no other country won as many MEPs uh, because the MEPs are given out based on the population of your country. So the UK will probably have a large amount of MEPs anyway um, because the Brexit party won so many, then they're going to be the largest group. What they're going to do with that power, uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, seeing as their policies were mainly UK-centric rather than EU-centric. But it waits to be seen. Um, Have you got any other questions about the Brexit party, why they were so successful or anything along those lines? Not really. I mean, I think we'd already looked at these polls ahead of time. Um, You know, as uh, there are a lot of people who have voted for Brexit and are annoyed that Brexit didn't happen. Um, So the vote share I've got for the Brexit party is 31.6%. So about 4% lower than some of the polls were suggesting. And 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 the thing about that is that's roughly on par with what UKIP got back in 2014, when UKIP saged, saged a similar upset. If you look at the UK summary, we've lost all of our UKIP MEPs, and they've been essentially replaced one replaced one for one by Brexit MEPs. And there's I think two or three more. So I think is it 28 we ended up with? Yes. Yeah. So I think there was 24 UKIP MEPs before. So. Slightly more people, but it's not surprising if, you know, people were voting for UKIP because they wanted to leave. Then we had a referendum uh, within the last five years, because it's a five-year election cycle. Uh, and then we've had another vote and we've gone, you know, the same people presumably who voted for those UKIP people in the first place have switched entirely to the, the Brexit party because they're like, here's our clear message, we want Brexit to happen. And there are a lot of people out there who, you know, I know people always say oh, people have changed their mind, etc., but, but yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people won't have changed their mind. They're just like, well, we voted for Brexit. The politicians haven't done it. And, and we've talked before about people doing it as a, a protest vote or because they just wanted something to change. Well, they've just watched uh, the Conservatives basically preside over this complete faffing about for the last two and a half years. Um, and it's not surprising that people who voted that way before would vote that way again because they're annoyed about it, especially when someone kites up and says, hey, I'm going to make Brexit happen. Regardless of whether we think Farage is going to manage to do that, I personally think he just wants to keep his free European lunches, as I mentioned last time. But um, yeah, I mean, can you speak to that, uh, Rob, about, you know, why, why, how is Farage able to keep doing this? How is he still 
still getting on all the news thing. I mean, now, now he's ahead of party. Like he has a reason to have a seat on the table in like BBC discussions and so on. But there was a stat I think that went round last week where he's had thirty nine appearances in something like ten years, whereas Ken Clark, who has been a senior member of the Conservative Party for like forty years, has only had fifty five. So you know, there, there there are questions of balance there and and so on. Um, but have you got any points to make on that? I th- I think it's uh, you know a a testament to his skill as a politician um, or as a manipulator a manipulator of people, whichever way you want to see it. To how the success is totally based around him. So look at UKIP for example. UKIP in 2014 were a party on the rise, and they had Nigel Farage ahead. They'd just taken 24.2 percent at the EU elections uh, in the 2015 general election. Although they only won one MP. Uh, they got 12.6% of the vote. Um, They were a party that seemed to be on the rise. Nobody could stop them. And then after the referendum result, they've fallen by the wayside. We've seen them have a very disappointing local council election and an even more disappointing EU election where that's sort of the point of UKIP. If UKIP don't get any votes at this election, then they are dead. And I think this, they will be devastated at the result they've had this evening. Um, And the reason that they've failed so spectacularly is because when Nigel Farage left the party, um, they sort of went in a very right-wing direction and took it to the extreme. Meanwhile, Nigel Farage is somehow able to thread the needle of, I'm right-wing and I want to leave Brexit, but no, I'm not a racist. No, I don't believe in these policies. I'm just a normal, ordinary man of the people who wants to see us out of the EU. It's... I don't know what it is about him, but he's certainly able to have this personal charisma and a style of negotiating questions that gets a lot of people on his side. Um, Now, obviously, he's helped a lot by um, money from various sources. I can't remember if we touched on it last time, but the funding of the Brexit party was brought under question by an investigation by Channel 4 News. Um, Firstly, on the funding of Aaron Banks, who was the main campaign funder of the Leave.eu campaign which was the unofficial Brexit campaign, um, but sort of ran the more risque adverts like um, the infamous one of Nigel Farage in front of the billboard um, saying like essentially that we're full up. Um, That was, you know, that's where he got his money from and he's been able to buy influence with that. Uh, He's also been able to get a wide variety of people from across the political spectrum to build the Brexit party. One of his lines was, we've got one of the most diverse range of candidates from people from the Communist Party to and Widdicombe and Annunciata Rees-Mogg. Um, this sort of idea that he's almost, <laughs> he's very political, but he tries to present himself as not political, as outside of the establishment. Um, that appeals to a lot of people who have felt disaffected from politics from a while, for a while. And with everything going on in Westminster over the past year and the failure to get a Brexit deal through that anyone can agree on, he's been able to capitalise on that frustration. Um, and, and that's what Nigel Farage is best at. He's a political opportunist. He sees the gap in the market and goes for it. And this was the election to do it in. He decided not to stand anybody in the council elections because the Brexit party doesn't stand for that. They're not going to be a local person to sort the bins out. This is where you do it as a protest vote to try and, you know, send a message to the Conservative Party and get them scared. And I think he certainly achieved that aim. So one question I have is, there was a lot of talk in the US when Trump came to power of him being from outside the establishment. And you can make the argument that Trump is a businessman, he's rich, 
and therefore he's still a part of the establishment. But he's not been a part of the political establishment before. Uh, well, I mean, he's tried before, but before this, he was not a member of the political establishment. And there was all the talk of drain the swamp and all of that. Um, and now people are seeing the reality that actually either he doesn't necessarily seem to be acting on some of that or, or you know, he's just getting his mates in. And it's, it's the same. It's a different establishment, but it's very similar. Um, do you think Farage has been helped by the fact that A, people don't really pay much attention to MEPs in the UK, but B, he's never been in power. You know, he's ne- he's not been in government, so he's never had a chance to screw up. So he can still argue that he's anti-establishment and all of that, even though he's been firmly rooted in, like, Brussels and so on for many years, taking payments as an MEP and also, as you say, taking money from, from outside sources, but then presents this image of man down the pub he's always seen with a pint, etc. Yeah, I I think that's entirely correct. He's He's a man who's always shouted at power. He's never been in power himself. And even when he's won elections, like the one he's just won today, um, he won't do anything with that power. In fact, the whole point of the Brexit party is probably just to twiddle their thumbs in Europe. He, he did so as an MEP for UKIP. You know, as you said, um, Hofstadter was saying that, you know, he never attends meetings, he doesn't vote on anything, he just doesn't interact with the establishment that he was, you know, elected to come and turn up to. Uh, that is the source of his power, essentially a very soft power of saying, if I was in charge, I would do something differently. Um, but when he gets the power, not doing anything with it. So I'm not saying that we should give Nigel Farage more power to show how we could mess it up, because I think that would be a dangerous thing. Um, but he certainly, he benefits from the always in opposition thing he's got going for him. Oh, nobody's ever given me a chance. Oh, the establishment's always against me. Oh, the BBC will never represent me fairly, even though when you look at the facts, he's been on question time more than anybody else. Um, so yeah, he that's his shtick. That's what he lives off. That's what he's been able to get a successful, a relatively successful political career out of. Um, If it can last and if it's a long term strategy, I don't think it is at all. Nigel Farage has always been about short term strategies for maximum gain um, and then making others make the difficult decisions for him. So as we're rounding out our talk on the Brexit party... Obviously, if we if we leave the EU and, and Brexit happens, then we won't have MEPs. So all of those Brexit MEPs would cease to exist. Um, do, do you do you see uh, people being? Sorry, let me rephrase this. So obviously, if that happens, they've achieved their goal. He can go around saying, "Look, we achieved Brexit." Even if they did nothing, if Brexit happens and they're the Brexit party, it looks like they've done something. If we get to another point, you know, how, how far do you think they can go before people start to question whether the Brexit party? is actually achieving anything and and do you think he continue to spin this kind of i'm in opposition argument while he's there yeah so if we don't leave the eu if we have a second referendum and leave loses then you'll forever have nigel farage on the tv saying that we should have a third referendum and running that again um in that case the brexit party would probably have to stand in general election for which they would definitely need a manifesto that's their big problem at the moment they don't have a manifesto they've been quite lucky that Ultimately, these elections are pointless and they could be out of a job in five months, so they haven't really needed a policy to stand on anyway. But come to a general election, they'll need a manifesto, which means they'll get more questions about why they exist. It might cause more tensions between those two factions in the party, I said. You know, if if you've got communists and Anne Widdicombe together in a room, they can probably all agree that they want to leave the EU, but on other finer points, that might get a bit more difficult. So that's where the party might start to break up a little bit. 
Uh, also, if they have to stand in a general election, just like UKIP did in 2015, um, it's a different voting system. This voting system that they've just had in the EU is PR. It allows for people to speak their mind more and not worry that you know they won't get somebody who represents their views or won't get somebody who doesn't like run the National Health Service well. Um, once you get to the general election, you've got a whole raft of factors which mean people are voting tactically. They know this area is always Labour, so why risk splitting the vote and voting Brexit Party when you know your mate's going to vote Conservative, for example? Um, we saw that in 2015 where UKIP, despite getting um, like an eighth of the vote, only got one MP which made them all feel the establishments against us, but also showed that their power was actually truly limited when it came to national affairs. And I know I saw elsewhere someone did the calculation from the percentages, um, and they were like, oh, well, Brexit party would get 446 seats based on this percentage. But that's not how the first-past-the-post elections work, unfortunately. So, but as, as you say, because it's in an area, like you could get a good percentage over the country and still end up with a few seats. Yeah, precisely. Um, they they don't have that sort of base. They don't have that campaigning base, that local one that Labour, Conservatives, the Lib Dems have been able to build up for years. They don't even have the small um, local base that a Green Party might have in Brighton, for example. They've got a little stronghold there, the Greens. The Brexit Party is very sparsely spread out, so I don't know where they'd even start to target an MP, probably in the most heavily Leave area, but... Yeah, so I think the Brexit party's success will be short-lived if Brexit goes ahead. Um, then they can walk away and say they've achieved their aim. Um, but if it carries on in the long term, they're likely to be an irritation, but I don't see them taking power um, or winning a lot of seats at a general election anytime soon. So we've discussed the Brexit party, um, and they're, as, as we've just touched on, quite unique in a lot of ways. Who came second? Yeah, so the other big surprise of the evening was that the Lib Dems came second uh, with a total sorry, of... Sorry, sorry, I, I need to say this because there's enough people been shouting at me um, on various political things I follow recently. Are we seeing a Lib Dem surge? <laughs> <laughs> or a Lib Dem fight back? Um, yes, um, so we are, yes, um, under a very unique set of circumstances, so so the Lib Dems have been set up as a very as a as a pro Remain party. If we got in, we would stop Brexit. Yeah, um, and that's where they were. That's the reason they were really able to shine in these elections. Uh, also, um, I'm going to do that damn annoying thing again and and put the results in context, comparing them to the last results in. 2014. But taking you back to 2014, the Lib Dems were extremely unpopular. They were still in coalition with the Conservatives. And as a result, I think they picked up only one MEP during that um, during that last set. So they were starting from a very low point and things could only get better. Um, now we're in a very different position. Uh, the Lib Dems, like you say, are seen as the big party of Remain um, or one of them probably alongside the Greens um, as a purely Remain party. Um, and because of that fact, they were able to win a lot of votes in, unsurprisingly, the pro-Remain areas. Um, whereas Brexit picked up about 50% of the vote in areas that voted strongly to leave. Um, the Lib Dems picked up about 30% in areas that were very strongly Remain. Uh, and I think the biggest was Richmond-upon-Thames, which I'm not mistaken is about your neck of the woods. It is. Rich Richmond is just north of us. I got an email from... Uh, I got an email when the local count went up for me, which, is you know, we're just south of Richmond, and it was overwhelmingly uh, Lib Dem by a long way, I think. So our local results were 
25,000 for the Liberal Democrats. And then the next biggest was Brexit Party with 10,000. And so that's a significant majority. Uh, Green Party was third with nearly 5,000. Then Conservatives at f- just over 4,000. Labour Party, five, 4,005, so just over. And then Change UK were at the bottom with 2,000 votes. I don't even know how Change UK, part, uh, <laughs> Change UK um, people were. So... Uh, I don't think they advertise themselves particularly well near us, um, but we'll get to them later. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, um, they're doing very well uh, overall, but a specific set of circumstances. Yeah, um, again, like the Brexit Party, their message was simple. I got one of their leaflets through the letterbox, and it kind of had three pronged attack to it, which was vote for us to stop Brexit. Um, also, we'll help the education system out, and by the way, we're a little bit green too. Um, which sort of covered all the bases of if you're a Remainer, vote for us. If you're Green, consider voting for us. And we've got another policy as well, just so you know that we're not the Brexit party. We actually do these things. Um, so, yeah, there's not much more to say about the Lib Dems other than it was a real night of success for them. Um, this is what they'll hope to build on. Um, and it's sort of it's payback for them having a consistent message on Brexit since the referendum result. They've always been the party of Remain. Um, I think they thought it was going to do better for them um, earlier on. And there was, I think, quite a bit of shock in the 2017 general election where people expected a Lib Dem surge and nothing happened. People weren't ready for the Lib Dems to come back. But in the last, I don't know, it seems since the start of the year, there appears to have been a real sort of you know, a, a gathering behind the Lib Dems to say, no, this is the party of Remain and this is the one that we can support. Um, they seem to have lost some of the stigma that was attached to them from the coalition years. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good things for the Lib Dems. They'll be ecstatic at being in second place and beating the other main parties, uh, particularly Labour and the Conservatives. Uh, so, yeah. yeah well, and well they've gained came. 15 seats. Yes. Oh, and uh, to to paraphrase a joke um, from one of the people I was discussing this with, Vince Cable's going to need a surge protector. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So next up we have Labour um, with only 10 MEPs. Uh, That's a loss of 10 for them. So we've talked through two of the happy stories of the night. Labour, not so happy. Um, I mean, I think I would say mixed messages were probably their main problem. But do you think there's more that plays into it as well? No, I'd say mixed messages is exactly the um, the thing that happened across there. Let me just grab the figures for a second because the BBC have done a some very good election maps that show you how each party was affected compared to how um, people voted in the referendum. Um, so Labour performed better in strong Remain areas, but still failed to get more than one fifth of the vote there. So they're still seen as primarily a remain party um but can't perform as well um as the lib dems or green because their message on remain was a little confused um if if we talked about the simplicity of the first two messages you know first one brexit party vote for us if you want brexit lib dem stop brexit labor's position was we want to stop a tory brexit um but enable our own Labour-based Brexit, after which we will have a second confirmatory referendum on the fact. And the way you get a you get to that point is by making sure we have a general election so Labour are in charge of the Brexit negotiating proceedings, which doesn't roll off the tongue. 
<laughs> no, I mean, if you can't summarise it in about four words, it's not going to make a good headline. Yes. Um, and as a consequence of the results today, um, I've seen a video from Jeremy Corbyn that literally has the words plastered along the top, we are listening, and Jeremy Corbyn just saying, we'll have a second referendum. I promise you, we'll have a second referendum. So they really see that they're leaking votes from Remain voters and want to target them as the main candidates. Um, sorry, as their main sort of like core voters. But it's still tinged with a little bit of, we'll have a second referendum on our Brexit deal when we get it through. So it's still quite a long sentence and not as catchy as the other parties. Uh, maybe the real shock of the night, and I'll just share a video in the chat here, um, was the result in Islington, which was Corbyn's own constituency, uh, where the Lib Dems narrowly beat the Labour Party, which is slightly embarrassing for Corbyn in an area that's nearly always voted Labour. And you know that's why Jeremy Corbyn survived so long as an MP there, because it was such staunchly Labour, he was able to keep out of Tony Blair's sort of way of thinking, keep his brand of, you know, sort of more left-wing Labour thinking going, and then build that and put that out to the rest of the country. To, to lose in his heartland will be embarrassing and concerning for him about where the, the, you know, the direction the party is taking on Brexit. And even more galling because it was his birthday. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was, that was the way the BBC framed the story. And I was like, that's very sad for him. So yeah, Labour had a disappointing night, and I think we can point to uh, I think we can point to why, um, as you say, mixed messages, and also I would I would say also in addition to mixed messages, they've tried to have these kind of talks with Theresa May, but it kind of feels like their heart isn't in it, even if people think Corbyn is really pro leave in secret. The kind of never really coming down hard and fast one way or the other has has really damaged their position to the average member of the public. So next in our list, we come to the Greens. You'll notice that's not the Conservatives. Again, in a bit of an upset. So they've managed seven MEPs. So they, that's only plus four for them. So they were above the Lib Dems in the last one. Um, but I feel probably my view of the Greens is people are starting to worry a bit about the environment. People have talked about the Greta Thun Thunberg effect. I hope I haven't mispronounced that as well. Um, and that that's part of it. But they've only gained 4%. So... I don't know if it's really helped them in, in, in a Brexit-based referendum, essentially, or in a Brexit-based vote. I feel people know they remain, but they probably aren't. Pe people probably still go, oh, well, they're probably not big enough. And it's probably just the fact that it's proportional representation helping them do a bit better. That's, does that sound fair to you? Yeah, that, that sounds fair in a way. Um, I think the other thing that has helped the Greens is that there's still a lot of... I talked about the... Lib Dems being having that sort of stain on them from the coalition days that seems to have lasted longer in the memory of people who live in metropolitan areas who are very staunchly Labour. Um, the Greens seem to be the protest vote of those Labour voters who thought that Labour was too strongly Brexit but couldn't quite bring themselves to vote for the Lib Dems so they voted Green instead. So all the Green success came from within the metropolitan areas where the Lib Dem success also came from the metropolitan areas, but they also gathered votes from the rural areas well where the where it's usually more of a Lib Dem conservative battleground. So a repeat again of what happened in the local council elections. Um, the Greens effect is still the party of Remain for primarily Labour voters, um, but just less effective at getting that message across than the Lib Dems in this instance. And an interesting point from the chat that Remainers probably think we're going to struggle with climate change issues outside of the EU. Um, 
and because the Lib Dems are more likely to get us to remain, if if you know if if you're voting on that yeah. that principle, staying in the EU is probably a better place to make changes to affect climate change, and the Lib Dems are going to do better. Therefore, vote for them. Yes, and and the Lib Dems aren't exactly anti climate change, as I mentioned in their in their leaflet. They were mentioning climate change, saying this is a concern. We're we're looking out for you. You know, we want a greener planet as well. So they were trying to you know undercut the greens in a way saying that no we we can do it as well so your vote won't be wasted so it's still a great night for the greens they should be very proud of what they've been able to achieve and you know more than doubled their MEPs exactly and they've really benefited benefited from the you know lack of labor support um you know the 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 falling in labor support when it comes to an EU protest vote um, I think they'll keep doing what they're doing. You know, they'll keep picking up the old council. They they'll get a couple of MEP, sorry, a couple of MPs come a general election, um, and that'll be something that we're we'll looking to build on in the future. But I don't think it's quite the the same surge if you compare it to the Lib Dems. They just don't they don't have the same grassroots organisation or the large um, sort of swathes across the country. Um, you know, where the Lib Dems control quite a bit of the Southwest or their network is quite strong in the Southwest, the Greens just have these sort of pockets in cities and it's harder for them to spread the message wider. So there's a there's a structural problem there um, which stops them from getting as many votes as somebody like the Lib Dems. But yeah, they still did a grand job. So in fifth place, the current government, the Conservative Party, um, <laughs> I feel like most people can guess what's happened here. Um on, on a vote where we're saying it's mostly indicative of people's thoughts about Brexit, the Conservative Party have, uh, through a variety of prevarication, um, not agreeing uh, with people wait, putting things off to the last minute, have not managed to deliver Brexit. We're past, as we said in a previous uh, episode, we're past the 29th of March and we're still in the EU, which I'm thankful for as I'm currently in the EU, made my holiday plans a lot simpler. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a surprise that they lost votes, but they lost 15 of their MEPs and nearly 15% of the vote um, to put them in fifth behind the Greens, which, I mean, at least at a general election level is unheard of. I don't know if there's there's probably there's one or two local councils I'm aware of that have been green in the past. Um, but yeah, this is a sh- fairly shocking night for the Conservatives that I think most of us could have seen coming. Yeah, but it is us saying that we could have seen it coming... It- I'm worried that people won't realise how bad this is for the Conservatives. It was awful throughout. So in every English constituency where there was a Conservative vote, so all of those councils, that, that map I showed you with all the teal, um, the Bre- Brexit Party won some of those. Lib Dems were able to get a majority in some areas, as were Labour. The Conservatives came either fourth or fifth in every council district across the country, which shows just how hated across the board that they were. You know, the lack of support from everywhere was astounding. The fact they've been able to pick up 9% of the vote is, quite frankly, impressive in my eyes. Um, And they will, you know, they went to these elections knowing they would get a kicking and knowing the Brexit party would do well. And now they're probably the next potential leader of the Conservative Party is probably looking to the amount of votes the Brexit party was able to take away from them. That's certainly where they lost the majority of their votes was in those leave areas. Um, They will now look for a leader that appeals to those Brexit party voters. That's why you've got Boris Johnson saying he will go ahead with a no-deal Brexit if elected prime minister, because he feels that's the surefire way to get those voters across and and borrow some of that enthusiasm. In in a similar way, to what we saw happening with UKIP, where 
David Cameron decided to have the referendum in order to kind of take the wind out of their sails. So here we have the Conservatives realising, oh, we've screwed up. And so now we need to go further, well, not necessarily further right, but further further leave in this situation so that they can try and claw back those voters they've lost uh, to the Brexit party. Yeah, certainly. Um, that's what the Brexit party, and that's what Nigel Farage is so good at doing, at affecting the big parties without actually having to do any of the hard decisions himself. Um, so he will be forcing Boris Johnson's hand on this. Um, I think some recent polling I looked at from the Week magazine, um, that I think was from YouGov, suggested that Brexit that people who said they were going to vote Brexit party would want Boris Johnson to be the next Prime Minister. So that shows them how they're thinking. Um, and I think with those sort of figures in mind, there's a good chance that if Boris Johnson made it to the final two, that he might get the nod from the Conservative Party membership. Um, the only problem is, does he get through the MP elections to get to that point? Um, but yes, an awful night for the Conservatives. Not much more to say on them other than they, they, they know what they need to do. They know they need to deliver Brexit or these type of elections will keep getting worse for them. They've been kicked at the ballot box twice in a month. Um, they won't want to get kicked a third time. And now we're down into kind of the, the regional parties. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say here. There's not been much change. So SNP gained one extra MEP with a gain of 1% of the vote. Um, obviously, the SNP does well in Scotland. So that's not surprising that they've done well in Scotland. Um, I mean, by comparison, Estonia has six MEPs for the whole country. So the SNP having three in Scotland, I think, is roughly comparable to like winning, you know, the, the the local election in a smaller in a lower population country. So that's not surprising. Then, then uh, Plaid Cymru and Sinn Fein have kept their one MEP. There's no real change there. Um, which I don't think is necessarily surprising. The same with the Democratic Unionist Party, who have one MEP. So um, I, I think it's just a really quick point on Northern Ireland. Um, it was pointed out to me in a tweet today that you know if you're interested about the effect that Brexit's having, and you know with the Northern Irish backstop and what people think over in Northern Ireland, it's important to look at the results over there. And they saw quite a significant rise in Remain votes, um, which shows at least they are nervous about Brexit happening and want it to change. And, and they're, they're the people who are most directly affected um, by the prospect of a no deal. So it is worth pointing out anybody who puts forward a no deal Brexit as an idea, you can point them over to the results in Northern Ireland and say, well, a little referendum happened over there. You know, they want to stay at least within the short term. Um, you might want to at least come up with a plan for the Northern Irish border before you go ahead with Brexit. And um, we had a very uh, informed tour guide uh, while we were here in Dublin who, you know, was like, I don't, this isn't a tour about Brexit. This isn't a tour about this, but it might come up. And when he got round to that topic, it was very much like, you know, we know how bad it was having that hard border and we don't want a hard border again for obvious reasons. So, I think very much the feeling on the ground uh, from the limited con conversations I've had about it are that obviously no one wants to go back to that. It was terrible. And it's an important part of the peace process was that that border was removed. So we still have that problem and it's not got any easier. We've kind of just ignored it for about a year, but it's still there. It's still an issue and someone needs to come up with a solution. Um, then there's the Alliance Party got one MEP. I don't know anything about them, I'm afraid. <laughs> No, no, that's fine. I'm I'm happy to skip over them and go okay. to. And our last three parties, uh, we're just going to quickly go through. Um, so there's the Ulster Unionist Party who lost their MEP, um, which I don't think is necessarily particularly interesting. Um, their vote share doesn't seem to have changed much. 
Um, but then we have Change UK and UKIP, which we need to touch on. So Change UK got three percent of the vote, no MEPs. Yeah, Change UK. So I've been I've been toying with the idea of having an entire episode on Change UK actually because it's really interesting. So do you remember about like let's say a year ago, or let's say it's like nine months ago, the idea of having a new party in British politics was really appealing. The The Lib Dems didn't seem to be doing that well or picking up many votes. Um, there was an obvious sort of split within the Conservative and Labour parties about what direction Brexit was going in. And when they were formed, there was sort of a bit of enthusiasm of, oh my goodness, is this the party that's going to break the political mould? Is this the one that can fill the gap? Is this the party which people who were uncomfortable voting Lib Dem because of their coalition history. Is this the one that we can all decide to get behind and, you know, rally around and vote for? Um, And in this EU election, they've proved to be entirely ineffective. Uh, I think that's for a number of reasons. Um, But first and foremost is that that third party centre ground is really, really crowded. Um, You've got Lib Dem, the Greens, um, and Change UK. And Change UK sort of forgot that the Lib Dems existed and forgot that the Lib Dems... Ha- That's the point. Everybody who says, what about a third party, forgets about the Lib Dems. Um, and I've mentioned it a couple of times before, but the Lib Dems have this ground support. They have the history. They have the people to go out and, you know, give leaflets out, get excitement up, or at least generate some interest that's really eva- really valuable in elections. Um, the Lib Dems had also been boosted by very strong local election results, which sort of put them to the forefront of everybody's mind. Went, oh my goodness, the Lib Dems have done well. I think it might, I might be okay voting for them again now. If, if you know, they're the ones to stop. If they're the ones that are most likely to stop Brexit, then we'll vote for them. And we saw those. Um, well, I don't know if you you saw those things going around online, which was like a way to vote tactically if you want to vote Remain. Nearly every everywhere in England said vote Lib Dem. And then outside, it was vote SNP or vote like Cymru. Um, and it appears that people sort of voted tactically in that sense. The other thing about Change UK is when people sort of asked them about their policies and then said, name me one Lib Dem policy you disagree with, they couldn't come up with an answer. And in some cases, um, you had Change MEPs standing saying, nah, don't vote for me. You should probably vote for that Lib Dem person over there because we don't want to split the Remain vote, which is not the best way to run a political party. But their their message got confused. Even with all this, all of this noise around them at the start, they failed to capitalise. Uh, I think part of that is down to, so when these, they were all former members of Labour and Conservative. And when you're part of the two main political parties, the way the media treats you is very different. So Conservative says X, and then the media for balance is almost automatically meant to say, and Labour person says Y. And whatever you do, you at least get a chance of a response. Being the Lib Dems or being a third party, you need to say something a bit wacky to get in the headlines or make sure that you're making an entirely different point to the two main parties. The members of Change UK, former Labour and Conservatives, just thought the media would come to them or thought their point of view would be put across, but they were sort of ignored at large, or at least put as a side party and never really were able to get their literature out there. I mean, they made other mistakes, you know, like their logo is not very memorable. I think I saw the Change UK bus, which the design on it looked awful. Um, you, you know, that they had 
a bizarre press conference with one of the candidates who said, um, I want everybody to put their hands out in front of them and, and look down in them. The future is in your hands. You, you know, it's, the future is that stuff like that. So a bad PR with that, but still their, their prime focus, their prime reason for existence, which was to stop Brexit and vote for us because you can't vote for the Lib Dems. People sort of ignored that second part and said, but I can vote for the Lib Dems now. And I think I shall because you're a new unsubstantiated party for which I don't know if you're even going to exist. So people seem to ignore them. And yeah, I've, I've seen RIP written in the chat. I, I don't know how change can survive now. They've, they had to do well at this election or they had to hope for the, the death of the Lib Dems. Um, if they fail to win an MEP, um, the Lib Dems seem to be thriving. They're, they don't have a point anymore, unfortunately. So I think they will remain as an interesting footnote in history and just a warning about how you set up a third party. A, a lot of people were calling out for this third party and you know we'd said multiple times that on our podcast that we thought it was a good idea. Uh, we forgot about the Lib Dems as well. We underestimated them. Um, and yeah, and, and, and now it appears there's a lot of reasons why you can't just form a new political party and expect it to do well. So I suppose my one question on that point is, so these people were Conservatives, they were Labour. Let's say they realise Change UK is petering out in, say, a year or so, and they're coming up to a general election. Do you, do you think these people are going to try and ingratiate themselves with the Lib Dems? Are they going to try and go back to their old parties? And if so, is there really any precedence for, for kind of going back in that way? I mean, I know some famous politicians in the past, notably Churchill, moved around parties a bit, but... Um, you know, when you kind of leave in that way, it seems hard maybe to, to work, work your way back into the good graces of that party. Yeah, I think some of them could try to come back, cap in hand. Um, they'd probably be accepted back because, you know, if Chuka, for example, is in a strong Labour constituency. He appears to be a very competent politician. I'd want him, I'd rather have him on my side than against me. So I'd probably take him back, but he can probably not expect to be on the front benches of parliament for for a while his political career will be over somebody like Heidi Allen who's been a conservative but has always sort of clashed with their policies I think she would make it she would find it quite easy to switch to the Lib Dems and be ingratiated there um I think the conservatives who left if they came back to a very pro-Brexit conservative party would probably find it hard personally to come back into it and may not be so easily accepted um, back in uh, somebody like Anna Subri has always been quite like was quite a vocal critic of Theresa May and that's somebody who may have burned all her bridges so it's not beyond the realms of possibility and you can do it but if you do your front bench and wider political career is likely to be over um, I know Churchill was able to make his way back but that was under quite extraordinary circumstances I would and argue hopefully we won't have another world war so yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, exactly and uh, the other option is to yeah go to the Lib Dems, which I think is probably more likely. They they find that their if they if their whole purpose for existing was you can't vote Lib Dem, but they've suddenly realised people can, and a lot of their views align with them, then that's the most feasible option for their MPs if they want to continue being a a voice in public life. So our final party in the list uh, that we've got is UKIP, who I know we touched on earlier. They've lost all 24 of their seats and they've lost 24% of the vote. And they, their percentage is just below that of Change UK. Um, is there anything else we want to add about UKIP? I don't think it's surprising 
with all the votes switching to the Brexit party. They're dead, essentially. They're dead. They're dead. I can't see a way back for UKIP. If they can't win MEPs, then there's no point to them. They've got a handful of councillors. They've got no MPs. The Brexit party is doing everything that they did, but is actually popular this time round. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, their, their, their campaign seemed to be, was littered with, um, gosh, there was that, horrible MEP candidate who had the rape joke or whatever that wasn't a mm, joke that yes. seemed very like just distasteful and they also had a YouTuber I can't remember the name of the YouTuber who made his dog do a Nazi salute but there was oh, yeah they've had they've had a lot of the weird end of the news stories and pretty horrifying as well as you say um I, I suppose one one thing to say I mean obviously they've all lost their deposits but it is quite nice to hear that Tommy Robinson lost his deposit so you know yeah that's the kind of people we're talking about. These people who are, you know, far, they've, far gone, right. they've gone far, far right. And I'm glad that, that you know, I may not, I may not, um, someone's just mentioned in the chat, Tommy Robinson hasn't conceded. Yes, he's claiming it's a government conspiracy, but, you know, he got like no votes. So, <laughs> um, but yes, uh, yeah, the, um, while I may disagree with the Brexit Party's aims, I feel at least it's moving things away from the right. And and I'm sure some of those people who were very right have gone and changed their vote to Brexit Party votes. But at least it seems like the part that the aims of the party are very simple. And, and it's not like a, this is a very right wing party. So I think the collapse of UKIP is a good thing. Yeah, we'll I think I will put an asterisk next to the Brexit Party saying not far right until they release a manifesto. Because the whole point is they they were so deliberately vague that you're able to vote for them from across the spectrum and not really worry yes. about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, it remains to be seen which way they go. Like UKIP always, UKIP held the same space as the Brexit Party did. They were that vague party that just represented that, and then once they'd achieved their aims and had to go out and find other things to stand for, they moved to the right and the far right quite quickly. So it will be interesting to see what the Brexit party, if they're still around, would do in three to four years' time, like you kept up. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye out on, but f- at least for now, I feel we can be hopeful, um, which is nice um, with respect to that. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts you want to add, Rob? Maybe, maybe I'll finish with the point that Nick Robinson said in 2014 when UKIP won the majority of the MEPs, he said... Um, they may be the biggest party in Europe, but they have no MEPs, no councillors, but they will have caused chaos. Um, I think the Brexit party has done something similar, um, maybe not to quite the same extent, because that result in 2014 forced the referendum on us. Um, what this what this Brexit party might do now is potentially force a no deal on us from the Conservative Party. So... All eyes on the Conservative leadership election now to see how they are affected by these results, by this latest sort of opinion poll. Um, but also Remainers not to despair. Um, the Brexit Party won. Um, there's been a bit of discussion online about what happens if you add all the Remain Party votes and all the Leave Party votes. That's quite a dangerous conversation to have because it's not always black and white. And they've often left the Labour and the Conservative votes out of there. But um in total, it looks like the Remain had a slight lead if you add it all together. Um, but remember that Remain wasn't united, which was their big problem. That's why they weren't able to defeat the Brexit Party in this election. Um, also, uh, based on turnout, the Brexit Party got 5.2 million votes. Um, that's quite a significant amount less than you know what the referendum result was, which I think was 17.4 million votes for Brexit. So 
we can't look at this and extrapolate and say that, you know, everybody who voted Brexit would vote Brexit for. There's clearly quite a strong desire amongst a large percentage of the population. Um, but it doesn't mean that if a referendum was held again, that Brexit would definitely win. Um, yeah, so there is there is hope. These elections will be spun by both sides to say it was a Remain win, it was a Brexit win. Um, the important thing is that in the end, this election actually means very little in real terms of what happens in the EU Parliament and the decisions that are made. Made probably it's most significant in the fact that the Conservative leadership will election will be affected. The Conservatives are now looking to survive. If you're a party that's just been pushed into fifth place when you're used to being first, you'll do anything to try and maintain that support. Uh, and seeing how the Conservatives react is where the real story will be in the coming weeks and months. I think those are very good points. I don't really have anything to add. Um, we're not going to do a quick polls update today because it's only about two days out from the last one and there won't have been enough polls released over a weekend in which there was an actual election. Um, as we say, uh, often elections are the best polls we get. So while there are differences here to a general election or a local election, you know, we can, we've still been able to draw some conclusions um, and, and we hope you found that interesting. Um, as always, you can find us at parliamentary.observer. You can find us on Reddit at forward slash r forward slash unparliamentary. You can find us on Facebook as unparliamentary language and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at unparlpodcast. Uh, you can also find us on patreon.com forward slash TTSS where you can support our shows and start listening to our new extra content, which is that the news section we used to do is now going to be uh, parceled into extra content there for patrons. Um, and obviously the best thing you can do for us, uh, I mean, obviously money is great on Patreon, but if you can go on to Apple Podcasts or whatever thing you use to listen to your podcasts and uh, like, subscribe, review, whatever whatever the, the method is on that app you're using, uh, you know, a five-star review helps us go up the rankings and get more listens. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're enjoying running this podcast, but it's always good to know that people want to listen to us. Um, so yeah, go, go out and share if you enjoyed this episode. And I think we're just going to have to wrap it up there because I've got to go off and rush, rush off and get some dinner. So <laughs> it's good night from me. And it's a uh, good night from him. Bye. 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 Hello and welcome to Unparliamentary Language, a podcast that hasn't got a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have one for me, Rob? <laughs> uh, I have not thought that far ahead. Um, the only thing I am quite annoyed about is that if you've listened to my last episode, my joke about um, Theresa May facing her Waterloo, um, that was repeated on telly by the little conservative man who looks like a gnome, who I can't remember his name, but he's the weird Brexiteer. Oh, not, 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 not Francois. Not Marc yes. Francois. <sighs> he, he said, he said this... He said this dancing queen has finally faced her Waterloo. So, um, yeah, uh, apologies for having the same sense of humour as a, a mad Brexiteer. But anyway, uh, moving on. Silence. My point so powerful, it stunned Wilco into Hello? silence. Hello? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, yep. Very strange. I don't know what happened there. I was talking That's and right. I just wasn't picking it up. Oh, look at this. We're almost like we're a slick machine. <laughs>